what will life be like in the last days? I'm sure that you've heard of them through books and films, if not through your Bible reading. But the last days, what will they be like? When will they be here? Will we survive them? I'm sure you'd like answers to those questions. And I guess I could have invited Hal Lindsey or Tim LaHaye to be here this morning, but decided instead to just let the Apostle Paul speak. And the first thing he has to say about the last days is not good news. He tells us in 2 Timothy 3 that in the last days, times will be hard. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, and avoid such men as these. (laughs) In the last days, difficult times will come. The word Paul used for difficult means hard to do or hard to bear. It's only used twice in the New Testament. Here, and when referring to demoniacs, they were exceedingly difficult, dangerous, violent, hard to handle. In the last days, times will be hard because men will be hard. Many will be difficult, dangerous, violent, hard to handle, like the demoniacs. In fact, to give us a clear picture of what they'll be like, Paul lists 19 characteristics of men in the last days. Bring it down just a little bit, please. He begins by saying that they will be lovers of self. And, of course, that's where most sinful behavior begins, in loving self more than others. In the last days, most men will put themselves first. And they will be lovers of money, which, as Paul also told us, is the root of all sorts of evil. Again, money is not the problem. The love of money is the problem. And by extension, the love of things that money makes possible. In the last days, men will measure success by the number of things they possess, and they'll brag about them. They'll be boastful. The word means to wander about like a peddler selling something. They will strive to convince everyone of their worth or the worth of what they have. They'll be arrogant. The word means to show oneself above others, to have contempt for everyone who is under you. And an arrogant person sees everyone as under them. They'll be revilers, blasphemers. They will put down and insult everyone and everything, including God himself. They will be disobedient to parents. They will have no respect for anyone in authority. They will have no respect for their elders. They'll be ungrateful. 
People never be grateful for anything because they believe they deserve everything. They'll be unholy. They will reverence nothing. Their behavior will therefore be shameful. They'll be unloving. The word used speaks of family love. They will refuse to acknowledge fundamental relationships and family ties. They'll be without human affection. They will be irreconcilable. They will refuse to make a treaty. That's what the word means. They, they won't come to terms. They'll have no desire to resolve relational problems. They'll be malicious gossips. They will slander others with no regard for the damage they cause. They will be without self-control. They won't even attempt to keep themselves in check. They'll be brutal like savages, like animals. They'll have sympathy for no one. They'll be haters of good. They will have no love for anyone or anything that is good. They will be absolutely reprobate. They'll be treacherous. The word means traitor. It was used of Judas. They will stab anyone in the back. They'll be reckless. It means to fall headlong, to be swept away by passion or impulse or desire. They'll be conceited and swelled-headed, inflated with a sense of their own importance. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And we're back to where we started. They'll put themselves first. They will, however, hold to a form of godliness, but they will deny its power. They will appear to be religious. They will go through the motions. They will join churches but it will have no effect on their life. They won't even allow God himself to change them. (laughs) Sounds horrible, doesn't it? But does it shock you? Is it beyond belief? (laughs) Or does it have a shockingly familiar ring to it? Paul is talking about the future, isn't he? Let's hold that thought for a bit. And see what else he has to say about the last days. The last days and the last days, times will be hard because men will be hard. But they won't just be calloused, self-absorbed. They will actively strive to lead others astray. And error will be accepted. Continuing in 2 Timothy 3. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I suppose this could be a special warning to women living in the last days, an indication that they need to be especially vigilant because they are more easily deceived than men. And those who hold that view usually go back to the garden and Eve's role in the fall to substantiate their understanding of this passage. Well, without entering into what can be a sexist fray, Let me simply suggest that we broaden this to say that in the last days, false teachers will be looking for easy targets. 
Now, it is true that women in the first century were generally easy targets. They were seldom highly educated or encouraged to think for themselves. But both women and men can be captivated by charlatans who enter homes, who worm their way. The word means to worm your way into homes and lead people astray. And those most easily captivated are those weighed down with sins and impulsive by nature. To be weighed down with sins can mean your life is so dominated by sin that you're willing to try anything to get relief. Or so ravaged by guilt that you buy anything from anyone who reaches out and accepts you. But a failure to deal biblically with sin, to recognize it for what it is, and to be cleansed of it by the blood of Christ leaves you wide open to all kinds of error and false teaching, from denial to approval to ridiculous schemes to get rid of sin and guilt. And those who are impulsive by nature, led by their desires and how they feel at the moment, are obviously targets for those with something new to try. And finally, those who are most open to error are those who do not accept the fact that truth can be absolute, that God has spoken, that truth has been revealed. A society that believes nothing is absolute and sees truth as a constantly changing and evolving thing will be wide open to the error of the latest theory the latest philosophy, the latest teaching. So error will be accepted in the last days. And truth will be opposed. And just as Johnny's and uh, Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected as regards the faith. Who are Johnny's and Jambres? Tradition and Jewish legend tells us they were the magicians in Pharaoh's court who tried to demean the sign of authority God had given to Moses. You may recall that God had told Moses to throw down his staff before Pharaoh and that it would turn into a serpent. It would serve as a sign of God's authority behind Moses' demand to let the Israelites go. But after Moses threw down his staff and it turned into a snake, the magicians did the same thing with their staffs. Then after he turned water into blood, they turned water into blood. After he called forth frogs to cover the land, they called forth more frogs. After he turned dust into gnats, they tried uh, but couldn't do it. And when he threw soot into the air that caused boils to break out on man and beast, they couldn't come into Pharaoh's court because they were covered with boils. It was obvious that Moses spoke with the authority of God, but they chose to oppose him anyway. And Paul says, in the last days, men of depraved mind will oppose the truth. They will reject the faith. 
They will choose error over truth, even when it's obvious what the truth really is. In Romans 1, he says, such men willingly exchange the truth of God for a lie. That's a frightening thing. When men are so hardened that they refuse to believe what they know to be true and choose to believe their own deception. That's the way it will be in the last days. Men will intentionally oppose the truth, but their folly will be obvious. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, as also that of those two came to be. The influence of depraved minds is limited by the ultimate revelation of their folly. Eventually, truth will prevail, and folly will be exposed for what it is. You know, masses may be duped and people may be deceived for a long time, but eventually truth will prevail. It always does. That's the nature of truth. After the magicians conjured up their snakes, what did Moses' snake do? It ate them. And eventually they were powerless in the face of truth. Their folly, their sorcery, their deception was seen for what it was, a a cheap imitation of the real thing. And that's the way it is with error. It's eventually exposed. Godless philosophies end in despair. Political systems that promise what they can't deliver come crashing down. False prophets and messiahs are exposed for the charlatans they are. Paul says the folly of those who oppose the truth will be obvious in the last days. So when are these days coming? Well, it may surprise you, but we are in them now. In fact, we have been living in them since Jesus ascended into heaven. The writer of Hebrews made it clear that the Son has spoken in these last days. And John even went so far as to say that it was the last hour when he was writing to the church. Indeed, Scripture makes it clear that these are the last days, that we are living in them. And that's why Paul switches from the future tense to the present tense in verse 6. And that's why what he says has such a familiar ring to it. We are experiencing all this stuff now. These are difficult times. Filled with difficult people who are lovers of self rather than lovers of God, even though many of them claim to be religious and are in churches. False teachers 
are all around us, worming their way into homes and captivating women and men who are weighed down with sin and led by their desires. If it feels good, do it. Maybe an old phrase, but it continues to be the prime directive of the day. In our postmodern world, the concept of revealed absolute truth is scorned more now than ever. It's scorned in daily life, in institutions of higher learning, and even in many churches. Those who stand for truth are not only opposed, they're ridiculed. These are the last days. These are hard times. So how do we survive? Well, Paul's instruction for dealing with depraved people might seem a bit simplistic. He says we are to avoid those who have rejected the faith, who have rejected truth. We are to avoid those who are lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Those who hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. Avoid such men as these is Paul's instruction to us. So how do we do it? How do we live in an evil world and avoid evil men? I think Paul's final phrase Describing the men of the last days is the key. We are to avoid those who hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. That sounds to me a lot like his instruction in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. He says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not mean at all mean the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he should be an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or reviler or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. We cannot withdraw from the world, even in the last days. We must interact with all kinds of people. We we can't avoid it. In fact, Jesus wants us to interact with them. How else can we be light and salt in a dark and dying world? But if we are to survive in such a world, we cannot do it alone. 
We need a brotherhood of genuine believers who love God more than self and who have discovered the power of godliness. Who have discovered the power of a resurrected life made possible by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we are to survive the last days with our faith intact, we must immerse ourselves in the truth and surround ourselves with brothers and sisters who love the truth as much as we do. These last days are hard, but they're not impossible. In fact, they're not really all that bad if you're walking through them with the risen, ever-present Savior. And if you are in fellowship with a body of believers that trust him and seeks to obey him in all things. The times are tough. We can't deny it. But they've been tough. David found them to be tough a thousand years before Christ. The early church found the times to be tough. And Paul said, they're going to get tougher. We've been studying on Wednesday night how the Thessalonians were shocked when they found out that tough times had fallen. They thought, surely we missed something here. Paul says, no. I told you things are going to get bad. And things are bad. But, but, God has told us how to live through it. And how to, to reach out to a world that's hurting and struggling and is confused and has been lied to. But that means we've got to be committed to the truth above all else. We've got to know God's word. We've got to get involved with opportunities to study. You know, I, I don't know how I could have pushed any harder for people to come out on Sunday night on the book we're studying. I think it's a significant book. It's an important book. I'm very pleased by the turnout we're getting. We had 20 there last Sunday night. We should have had 100. We need to know what's going on. We need to understand what's happening. And we have to be grounded in the truth so we can survive and we can bring the kingdom of God on earth in the lives of men and women who know and understand it and trust Christ. These are tough times. They're not all that bad if we're walking with a risen Savior. Amen? Amen? That means we've got to know the truth. We've got to study his word. We've got to think together with other believers who accept the truth of God's word because the world doesn't. They even deny the existence of truth. We've got to ground ourselves. And we've got to be in fellowship with believers who know it. We've got to be involved in each other's lives, encouraging, 
faithfulness. That's the way we make these last days good days. Because they're days when we see victory. We see lives being changed. We see, we see events happening that we can't understand. We see God's hand, even in the midst of heartache and sorrow. We understand the truth. We know the future. And we trust him. And we obey him. There's no other way. I ask you to commit yourself to trusting.